What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I went and got tested Monday late afternoon and then got my results back uh, Tuesday morning. I, you know, I... I called the governor and just kind of notified him. I, I called my chief of staff to notify her and decided that I was going to put a statement out just to make sure that, you know, I'm notifying everybody that may have come in contact with me. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. And with us today is Attorney General Kwame Raoul, who is the highest ranking Illinois official who has tested positive for COVID-19. What a distinction. Attorney General, thank you, sir, for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. How are you feeling? We all want to know, what is this like? Well, um, I'm relatively speaking, I'm feeling much better than uh, a few days ago. Um, my first um, sense of having symptoms was maybe Saturday night coming into Sunday morning, and I had a, a persistent cough. Um, I was shivering, my teeth were kind of chattering and um, sweating. Uh, feet were feeling real hot. Um, and, um, you know, just feeling beat down and a, a sore throat out of this world. Um, and, so, and so for the first couple of days, I couldn't control my cough. Um, and the sore throat was pretty bad. Um, and then um, maybe uh, a day and a half ago or so, I, you know, I, I started feeling a little bit better. However, you know, I discovered that, you know, even though I felt a little bit better, if I just, um, you know, had a meeting or two on Zoom or, or whatever, I would feel exhausted afterwards as, as if I played a, a football game or something like that. Um, so um, I, I tire very easily. Um, but overall, I have not had any breathing difficulties, which is... Uh, which is a plus because I've heard of others having such breathing difficulties. Um, just feeling beat down though. How high did your temperature spike and when did you actually go in and get tested? I ended up getting tested on my temperature got up to maybe 
1.3, going on 1.4, something like that. Um, I went and got tested um, Monday late afternoon and then got my results back uh, Tuesday morning. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I called the governor and just kind of notified him. Uh, I, I uh, called my chief of staff to notify her and um, dis- decided that I was going to put a statement out just to um, make sure that, you know, I'm notifying uh, everybody that may have come in contact with me. I, I tried to go through and remember everybody I had come in contact with to try to make um, personal contact or or to another individual, make sure I reach out to try to let them know um, such that they didn't hear it first, you know, on so the news. You did your own contact tracing, basically. Yeah, I think it's important to do, and it's important to do as fast as possible. Um, um, you know, um, and it's kind of the responsible thing to do. Uh, I, yeah, you, I had, you, you attended a South Suburban Day of Action in Calumet City on June 6, alongside Governor Pritzker and a lot of other elected officials. It was an event held by the Legislative Black Caucus. Uh, State's Attorney Kim Fox was there. County Board President Tony Preckwinkle was there. Have all those people be te- been tested? Have they and should they be tested? And has anybody in your family been tested? Yes. Um, with regards to those people, I, you know, I don't, I, I can't speak for all, whether they've all been tested. Um, you know, when I was around those people, we all had um, our, our masks on. But for the time that um, I was, uh, you know, speaking at the at the podium, in which case most of the people were behind me. Um, um, with regards to my family, yeah, my family uh, has been tested. Most of them are awaiting results. My wife tested negative. Surprisingly, she's been around me so much, <laughs> but uh, she's she's tested ne- negative, and so she'll have a few more days of isolation before she returns to the front lines because she's uh, she's a physician. Uh, oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Oh boy. Yeah, and she's you know she's actually had to. She's she's an anesthesiologist, so she's had to deal with, um, you know, severe COVID patients. Um, so, have you court. separated from your children? Have you? Uh, are you in like a separate part of the house, or how are you doing this? Yeah, I'm in solitary confinement, and I in the, my bedroom. It's uh, it's. Uh, you know, it's been a few days, but uh, um, it's not fun. <laughs> but, no. But, uh, How old are your children? Um, well, I've got four altogether, two stepkids who are uh, 22 and um, um, 19. And um, I've got a daughter is 20 and my son is 22. Um, okay. So they're not living with you or are they? Uh, my stepkids are in the same same house as, as, as I am. And, uh, my, uh, my other kids are in my, my other home, um, in, in Hyde Park. So I got married last, last year. And so 
I, you know, I've moved into my, what was my wife's home. So all by yourself in the bedroom and, uh, how do you, how do they feed you? <laughs> how does this work? Uh, um, my wife will bring in a tray, you know, and, um, I'll send a text, you know, can I try some fruit? And I feel, I feel guilty because I'm, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm, you know, ordering room service or something. Um, <laughs> I take it you're an enlightened man who helps out around the kitchen otherwise, huh? I try. I try. Well, I uh, hope you feel better. I mean, this is the kind of thing that we all dread and we don't know what it really is and it's different for each person. So this is a warning. I mean, you tweeted about your diagnosis by way of warning people about complacency as we open up. Are you worried about that? I am. I am. As I, you know, I, I have my, um, one thing I can see and it's kind of frustrating a little bit as I have my, the, the shades open and I can see outside and it looks like a beautiful day and I see people walking, enjoying the outdoors and, you know, without masks on and, um, you know, and, um, it's easy to, um, you know, nobody's perfect. Right. Um, and you can, um, you can get relaxed. We have, you know, we're well into phase three, you know, there's anticipation of moving into a phase four. Um, and I think, uh, you know, the governor and the mayor have, uh, manage all of this well and, and you know, reduced our, our numbers. Um, that said, uh, there's a certain complacency we can, we can get as a result of seeing the, the, the relative results of numbers as compared to other states that opened up before us. Um, and um, that could lead to a, a, a future spike if we, don't, if we don't play it right. So um, you know, I myself, as the restaurants opened up, I did stop by and try to support a couple of restaurants. But it's important, you know, as you do so to, to, to you know, to be very careful. Do you have any thought about where you might have contracted this? I'm not sure. I've, you know. If you I, had I, to guess, I, would you say it was at a restaurant at the rally uh, from your wife? What do you think? Well, I don't think it's from my wife, negative but um uh i i, I do not know um well yeah, I, I hesitate to guess because that you know you know i i already feel that there's like a uh um you know a black mark on me anytime you know once i get out of my solitary confinement you know people will be like oh this guy was covid uh <laughs> infected uh, so stay away from to- him <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I don't want to when put will, any stain. When will your isolation end? I think that'll be dictated by, by, um, you know, the the symptoms and and you know probably as uh, as we get uh, several days of um, lack of any s- symptoms, um, you know, I think it's going to be at least two weeks. Um, um, then, you know, uh, whenever the, whenever the physician, my physician tells me. 
Five years ago, you tried to push a police reform package as a state senator that included licensing for police officers after the police shooting of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. You recently took yourself to task for backing off of that effort amid opposition from law enforcement. Why did you back off and why will this time be different? Well, um, so we did pass a package that was fairly comprehensive that included protocol for body cams, um, some some train training um, requirements, um, making certain that um, it was known that people can um, um, film police in performance of their duties, creation of a um, database um, when when officers either get fired or resign while under investigation. And so I didn't I did not want to sink all of that um, because we couldn't um, come up with the fine language for uh, a licensing um, provision. And so what we decided back then was we created a commission on police professionalism to look at two issues. One was police licensing and the other was regulation on uh, the use of auxiliary badges. Um, that commission met several times, but the deadline um, on the commission expired. Um, I tried to introduce a bill to extend the time for the commission. I did. I didn't introduce such a bill and passed it out of Senate. It was not taken up in the House, so the commission just sort of died. Um, and then you know other issues, you know, came to the forefront. Um, I think what, what, what's important to know about the conversation then as, uh, the same as now is that there's a lot of law enforcement who, who like the idea. So the notion that, um, law enforcement is opposed to the idea, it depends on who you ask. If you ask, um, the FOP, yeah, perhaps they'll tell you that. If you ask a lot of police chiefs and sheriffs who have to deal with disciplining, um, you know, uh, bad officers and have to deal sometimes with their uh, disciplinary decisions being overturned or, um, you know, uh, even when they're successful and they may fire a, uh, a police officer for egregious misconduct, that police officer gets hired at another uh, police department. Um, so if you ask people who, uh, who are charged with managing police departments, um, I don't think that you'll hear the, the same level of opposition to the notion of licensing. Um, as you know, we'd license, uh, you know, a great number of professions in the state of Illinois, as well as other states throughout the country. Uh, I, as a lawyer, um, and I'm licensed and, uh, somebody, no matter where I would work as a lawyer, if my employer uh, decided not to discipline me, um, if my employer decided not to discipline me for some, some type of misconduct or professional misconduct, somebody could go to the Attorney Registration uh, Disciplinary Commission and um, file a complaint. And uh, I can receive a suspension or a revocation of my license as a result as a result of this. The same exists for uh, uh, various professions, physicians, um, you know, even barbers and hairdressers. Um, 
So, uh, you know, I think there is a certification process. And yeah, uh, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, police officers are already certified. Why is that not enough? Well, it may be enough in certain states. So, um, uh, I believe the state of Florida, for example, has a more robust um, decertification uh, process. And what I mean by that is um, in the state of Illinois, you, you pretty much have to be convicted of um, you know, certain felonies and, and maybe one or two misdemeanors um, that qualify in order to be decertified. Um, short of that, you can have repeated acts of misconduct, as we've seen. If you think about uh, a Derek Chauvin in Minneapolis, um, we've learned that, you know, there were some, I think, 18, um, you know, founded complaints of misconduct uh, against him. If you think of Jason Van Dyke, there were a number of complaints against Jason Van Dyke. Um, if those complaints uh, had an opportunity to go to a uh, uh, independent a licensing body for consideration, uh, perhaps uh, we would not have had a uh, Laquan McDonald um, shooting. Uh, perhaps, you know, in the state of Minneapolis, if they had something, uh, in the state of Minnesota, rather, if they had something similar, uh, George Floyd might still be. But Mayor so, Mayor Lightfoot is on board with this, <clears throat> and but the FOP is now under more militant le- leadership, and they contend that there are multiple levels of police discipline, COPA, and internal affairs, <clears throat> and on and on and on, and they don't need another disciplinary group to go after. Uh, wayward officers. What do you say to that, and how do you get over the hump? Well, I mean that is the um, that is the systemic systemic problem that everybody's trying to eradicate. You know, they are fighting to uphold a system uh, that protects bad officers. There are a lot of good officers that get a bad, bad name because there's a system that protects bad officers. There there are things uh, in, in collective bargaining agreements that. Uh, make it such that you can't immediately start uh, investigating um, acts of misconduct. Um, um, you know, when, when you have when you have uh, such provisions that uh, um, deter um, the ability to investigate anonymous complaints. Um, when you have stuff that's in um, state law that um, deters people from coming forward by way of requiring them to have a sworn affidavit in order to uh, file a, a complaint and a provision that says if there's a, a, any untruthful statement in that affidavit, um, it has to be referred to the local state's attorney for prosecution for perjury. Well, people are going to be afraid to to come forth. Um, um, so, yeah, they may feel that there's a, a, a system, but it's a system that has failed at, at holding bad officers accountable and has thereby given a lot of good officers a bad name. And I think um, 
if, if, if we have a licensing system, and I'm, I'm glad that the mayor's on board, um, it, it creates an, an, another avenue of accountability that exists for a wide uh, range of professions in our state that also have disciplinary process in their regular employment um, scenarios. What changes do you think need to be made in the police contract, which is three years in the making? They Their last contract expired three years ago. They still don't have one. Uh, what disciplinary changes do you think we need? Well, I think there's a, you know, there's a provision that, um, you know, if you think about, I mean, if you, you, you were investigating a, a murder committed by just a, a lay person, uh, you know, time is of the essence. So you try to, if you arrest that individual, you try, you bring them in right away and you start questioning them right away. If there's an act of misconduct by an officer, there's, the, there's a period of time when you cannot uh, talk to them. Um, 24 hours, 24 hours. Yeah. They want 48. Yeah. So, I mean. Or 72. Um, yeah. Um, the notion that um, of of uh, you know anonymous complaints not being able to be investigated, uh, you know, in in other forms where we want public accountability, we encourage anonymous complaints. You know, people are fearful to come forth and complain uh, ab- about. Uh, police you know we've seen what happened to this uh, cta worker right um so people are already hesitant to come forth if they they're victim of uh, police misconduct um you know why would we have a provision that says that we're not going to investigate you know anonymous complaints yeah, you yourself have talked about the fact that you were victimized in in a, in a verbal way by police and never filed a complaint several times, right? Why didn't you? Yeah, and what happened? I, well, in several incidents, so in a couple of them, I was just so young, I, I you know, I probably was scared and just was just happy to get out of it. Um, you know, you know, as as you know, a black man, many of us have what what with our family, what's called the talk. And, you know, it's basically a talk about how to survive an encounter with the police, you know, how to come home alive. Um, and so when you, when you come out of a situation, you just feel good that you, you came out of it. Right. Um, and so, so oftentimes you don't even think about complaining. In one instance, I was a, uh, I was a prosecutor and I was, uh, patted down and you know the the police officers apologized and told me that um you know i fit the description of somebody who had been committing uh auto thefts in the area um notwithstanding the fact that i had a suit and tie and the keys to the car um um but you know i accepted the apology and um um you know didn't think about complaining um, but it, so, it left a scar, right? Didn't it emotionally? Oh, oh, oh definitely. Oh, definitely. Um, that one, not as much as, you know, uh, the first one when I was 17, when officers pulled it, I had two situations when 
officers pulled a gun on me. So that, you know, that's a lot more uh, traumatic than, than just being, you know, patted down, you know, outside of my car. Um, you know, I had one where um, I was driving my mother's new car and uh, I just dropped her off. Uh, I was driving down Chicago Avenue and I got cut off by a, a, a old beat up car and another car came up behind me and the, they came out of the car with guns drawn. I thought I was being carjacked. Um, mm. but I did not know that they were police officers. And, uh, wow. you know, um, and then, what you know, after that, that, like? that, that must have really left a scar. Wow. Yeah. And I had a friend, I was a student at DePaul University at the time. I, I had a friend who was also a student at DePaul who was from New York. And, you know, his family must not have had the talk with him because he was trying to argue and, you know, he was like, what the hell are you guys doing to us? And, and I finally had to tell him to shut up. And, you know, um, I was being very um, calm. I was scared. I was quite scared, but I was being very calm. And, you know, uh, they asked, whose car did you steal? I said, this is my mother's car. Um, I just dropped her off. I'm be picking her up. Um, and they were like, yeah, right. I remember I had um, a prescription. Um, uh, I had picked up a prescription because I had an eczema breakout. And so they had pulled out the prescription from my pocket and they thought I was, that it was some illegal substance. Um, and um, they were like, what kind of drugs do you have, do you have here? Um, so, you know, it was all the stereotyping. And finally they ran the registration and, um, you know, there was no apology. It was just, okay, get mm. out of here. Wow. Well, so that's kind of experience and that's not a violent one, but a very hurtful one. Nevertheless, um, it's a, a lot to get a gun pointed at, pointed at you. you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Thank God you weren't beaten, but you were beaten emotionally and verbally and everything else. Wow. Well, now you are the attorney general in charge of really uh, uh, play a critical role in enforcing the consent decree that outlines the terms of federal court oversight over the Chicago Police Department. And your office has complained to the monitor about the very slow pace of progress. They missed 37 of 50 deadlines on the first report. How do you feel about how Chicago is doing in the pace of this? You know, it, it, it hasn't gotten off to a good start. Um, you know, um, we are, we are not the only adverse party. There's a coalition of other um, community organizations that are also party to the consent decree and um, you know, so we meet with them periodically. I had a Zoom meeting with them earlier this week um, where I um, personally attended with my team. Um, and so, um, um, you know, it's, it's challenging because, you know, uh, at times they feel like, oh, we may not be uh, as aggressive as they want us to be. And, um, you know, on the other hand, the uh, 
CPD may feel that uh, we, we are too aggressive. But the bottom line is there was a patterns and practice uh, investigation that yielded uh, that there was uh, a history of uh, um, unconstitutional policing and that, uh, that uh, produced this consent decree that can be a pathway um, to um, uh, dramatically changing um, the, the, the Chicago Police Department if, if um, implemented consistent with, um, you know, the deadlines and uh, within the consent decree. There's a monitor who's um, uh, Maggie Hickey, who's uh, doing a good job of uh, uh, trying to uh, hold uh, the city and CPD accountable. But there's got to be the willingness. There's got to be the buy-in within uh, CPD. Uh, we have a new superintendent. I think we do have to give him an opportunity um, to... Um, <coughs> excuse me. I, I apologize. Um, it's okay. Um, to um, to make sure that he's got the appropriate personnel at all the places to make sure that they're complying with this process. Um, you know, some of it has been pulling teeth. You know, to get um, you know, uh, COPA to realize they're part of the deal too. You know. When we're talking about reforming, we're talking about reforming the whole thing. Um, so um, um, I, I still remain optimistic. Um, let's be clear, though, uh, that the, the consent decree doesn't contain everything that we need um, by, way of, by way of reform. Um, um, the, the judge and uh, the consent decree recognized that there need, need to be efforts to effectuate things that are not controlled by uh, the consent decree. Um, and some of that will come about by way of the collective bargaining process. And some, some of that might come about by way of the legislative uh, process. What's the biggest hang up with the CPD coming on board with this consent decree and picking up the pace here? Um, friend, I think it's just, um, a, a lot of times, you know, as, as, as reported to me by my team is, um, sometimes it's just pulling teeth to just get compliance with just producing documents, you know, you know, their plans, you know, they're, they're supposed to provide plans, um, whether they're training plans or, or so forth. And sometimes it's pulling teeth to get to to get uh, copies for our review and for our feedback. And, um, you know, we're not in this process to um, uh, beat up the police, right? You know, we are, uh, we are a law enforcement agency ourselves. So um, we want to improve law enforcement. We don't want to fight law enforcement. Um, and so while we're officially an adversary in terms of the court proceeding, um, I think we should look at this as um, working um, together towards change rather than 
oh, we don't want to do this. We we want to do as, um, you know, little as possible. I think the mayor comes a, uh, under a challenge because, you know, she, you know, took helm last year and um, um, she had to inherit a lot of uh, folks. And, uh, you know, you, you, you can't... Um, wave a magic wand and know everybody who is efficient at moving things forward and who's not and who's resistant. And I, I think it takes a little time to go through that process of evaluating all that personnel. And so, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm understanding of that, but we have to remain vigilant as, um, as party to this, uh, consent decree to make sure that, uh, implementation goes forth in a way that's in the best interests of all the citizens of Chicago. Before we go, let me ask you a couple of quick things about the Open Meetings Act violation allegation that Mayor Leifitz calls to Alderman, one of which was quite profane, as we well know, with uh, Ray Lopez during the pandemic and during the uh, looting and mayhem that followed a couple of weeks ago, uh, that those violate the Open Meetings Act. She's meeting in calls with all 50 aldermen, with all the committee chairmen. It's too many people. It's a, is it a violation of the Open Meetings Act? Well, I, I won't comment on that right now because uh, you know, our, uh, there, there has been communication with our office, and so we'll, we'll come out with that determination. Um, well, she, she sees and desist. Should she cease and desist because she might do more of the violating if she has more calls? Uh, yeah, let me let me just hold back from commenting on that. Okay. Until we- All right. What about the Republican lawsuit against Governor Pritzker saying his stay at home order discriminates against political groups that he has allowed like religious uh, churches, temples to meet, but not political groups and that that's discriminatory, do you think? Uh, listen, you know, I'm in the business. I've been in the business of defending um, various lawsuits against uh, the governor and the state for the uh, uh, implementation of his executive orders, and um, I will continue to vigorously do so, even more so now than before, uh, given that I am witness to the fact that uh, COVID-19 is remains remains a threat. Um, and so um, um, the Republican Party may want to uh, pretend like um, it doesn't exist. Well, I can tell you, um, you know, um, from my shivers at night to my teeth rattling and, and my sweating that um, COVID-19 is alive and well in the state of Illinois. And we need to take precautions. And, and I'm going to defend the governor's uh, efforts to to try to protect the citizens of the state of Illinois. Attorney General Kwame Rule, thank you so much for joining us. Feel better. I hope you're back in circulation and out of solitary very soon. Thank you so much, Fran. You take care now and we'll see you all next week.